We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show where we talk with accomplished chess players, authors, and personalities about their lives, their careers, and how to improve at chess. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters and by Chessable.com. Hello there, listeners. Before we get to this week's illuminating adult improver interview with Braden Lachlan, I have an exciting announcement for you all. It's been months in the making. Together with Chessable, I'm launching a new chess improvement podcast. It's called How to Chess, and it's a weekly rapid-fire chess improvement podcast and YouTube show. It'll have its own feed, its own YouTube channel, and unlike the Perpetual Chess YouTube guests are on camera and we'll have the Chessable production team adding some graphics. For me, I have to get used to looking at the camera when I'm talking and I have to stop picking my nose during interviews. Just kidding, mostly. Um, But I'll figure all that stuff out. Um, But the show is still designed with the -the on-the-go listener in mind. So we talk more conceptually about chess improvement rather than show like a mate and four puzzle or something like that. Uh, The format is each week we'll feature a different special guest talking for 10 minutes about a 
10 minutes about a specific chess improvement topic. Uh, guests will include both titled players and trainers, as well as adult improvers. Uh, we've already got a handful of shows recorded, and early shows include Grandmaster Eugene Perlstein talking about how to limit blunders, uh, Stepan Tomic, better known as chess YouTube star Hanging Pawns, talking about how to go about learning an opening, and we've even got adult improver extraordinaire, the Grandmaster of Habits, the People's Champion, Neil Bruce, giving you advice on things to keep in mind if you're competing in your first chess tournament. <clears throat> By the way, today's guest, Braden Lachlan, will be on an early How to Chess episode as well, talking about breaking through rating plateaus, something we did not talk about in this week's episode. So nothing's changing about perpetual chess. This is just an additional content option for your chess education and entertainment. The show will be released on Thursdays. Uh, the podcast feeds um, will be available. I'll put them in the show notes as soon as they're available. Although sometimes the like one, like Apple Podcasts will have it up and Spotify might be delayed. So it might be um, not available everywhere immediately, but in, in short order, it'll be available everywhere. And in the meantime, we'll be releasing the first couple episodes on this very perpetual chess feed. Um, if you have chess improvement topics you'd like to hear covered on how to chess, like if you have a specific topic, like how do I play in time trouble? Should I play the London or not? Um, what is the proper regimen for a tournament day? All these sorts of questions um, are the type of thing we'll be tackling. So if you have a question of your own that you would like to hear answered, drop me a line and let me know. If you are a content creator or accomplished adult improver and you have a decent mic and a decent camera, um, I'm open to um, suggestions for uh, guest co-hosts on that show or rather interview subjects. Um, and that's about it. I'm super excited for it. So uh, bullet point summary, new podcast, 10 minutes per week, chess improvement and study habit focused. It'll be released on Thursdays. I uh, have a separate podcast feed. Um, nothing about perpetual chess is changing. And that's about it. Um, last thing, uh, programming note on perpetual chess. My family's uh, heading out of town for a bit. So next week, there will be no perpetual chess. But again, we'll, dro we'll drop a couple how to chess episodes in here to keep you all busy. And also, um, working on some fun guests for Perpetual Chess. And by the end of June, um, we're hoping to drop another book recap. Uh, FM Nate Solon and I have been working hard reading two different Zurich 1953 books in order to compare them. Uh, so that should be fun. So last but not least, I just wanted to thank Chessable for the continued support. I've wanted to do a show like How to Chess for a long time but it's only with their support that I could devote the necessary time to make it happen. And I hope you all enjoy it. Um, and I think that's everything. So without further ado, let's get to this interview with Braden Lachlan. I hope you all are well, and I will catch you all soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Adult Improver edition of Perpetual Chess. We have quite an accomplished improver joining us this week. Uh, most of you probably have heard Adult Improver interviews before. If not, what have you been doing? Uh, the way they work is basically we talk more chess improvement, and instead of interviewing a grandmaster who, you know, um, could play a blindfold game when they were five, 
we interview an accomplished uh, adult, or in this case, young adult chess player who has shown significant rating gain. It's always fun to pick their brains and try to get some ideas uh, about how to improve our own games. I know I'm certainly um, kind of dazzled by what today's guest has done. His name is Braden Lachlan. He is just 22 years of age um, and has made huge gains in his rating in the past few years. He went from zero to 17, 1750 Canadian rating in about 16 months. He lives around Toronto, Canada. And during quarantine, he's been busy playing chess like a lot of us, and he's seen his chess.com blitz rating peak over 2100. So overall, he's gone from zero to 2100 in about four years, which is super impressive. Braden also makes and produces videos. He has a YouTube channel that you all should check out. And as luck would have it, he is a fairly new Chessable employee. Now, of course, Chessable is a sponsor of the show, but Braden was actually on my adult improver list even before I knew that Chessable had hired him, as obviously his rating gains speak for themselves. But he'll actually be moving to Barcelona to work for Chessable, which we may discuss at the end of the conversation. But first, we got to bring Braden in and welcome him to the show and talk some chess. Braden, how are you? I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm well, yeah. As, as I was saying before we started recording, it's um, about to be a holiday weekend here in the United States. So I'm um, just uh, grinding out some work, excited for this conversation before uh, I hope to relax a little bit. But here we want to talk chess, Braden, of course. So um, yeah. I, I want to hear all about your improvement, especially the 0 to 1750, which is just amazing. But I know you've got your own opinions, but l let's start with... Uh, how you and how you discovered chess and what your first inklings were of uh, ways to try to get better at it. Okay, so uh, as an adult improver, uh, I I always knew about the game. I'm, I'm sure pretty much everyone in the world knows about the game, but doesn't really get into it. At least for the adult improvers, uh, I didn't get into it until I believe I was 16 or 17. Uh, it was 2016, I believe November uh, time and. I was playing it uh, in school. At least uh, someone in my class wanted to play against me. They taught me the rules and they crushed me just completely. Uh, and it fascinated me. It, it was really interesting because it was one of those games where you, you can't blame your loss on something else. It's not like Call of Duty where you can blame it on lag or maybe a faulty controller. It's very specifically designed where if you make a mistake it is a fault in your logic and a fault in how you think and that really interested me uh, as I used to play a lot of video games because then it kind of cuts out those other errors it's only your own errors that can cause the issues anyways so I went home that night studied it a ton the most I could I looked up uh, Jerry Chess Network and Shout watched a ton of his videos uh, absolute big fan of his and went back this, the next day, played the same guy, and got crushed again. But it didn't deter me. And it was really interesting because I, I wouldn't say I'm a poor sport, but it, it hurts to lose. I'm sure mm -hmm. everyone can, can relate to that. And it just created this like fire in me where I just wanted to get better. And I wanted to be able to beat people. And well... After that, I started playing my dad a ton, and he was actually okay at the game. Uh, and I would just play him nonstop for, for the first few weeks until I eventually would just continuously beat him. 
And now the only time he'll play me is if I play blindfolded against him. So, <laughs> mm. yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. And I, I hear a lot of common threads that I both have experienced and I've heard from chess players in what you're describing, both the, uh, the fiercely competitive urge and, of course, what you say about chess being so um, unforgiving in terms of uh, any, if you lose, it's because of you. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, with the possible exception of mouse slips. Um, yeah, and that's both the uh, the beauty and the gift and the curse of chess, basically, yeah. um, because that I think that's what makes it. Um, it can be a real blow to the ego when when one loses. Um, and I'm I'm happy to interview Braden, you, Braden, because um, obviously um, I'm you know in my mid 40s and have kids, and the last few adult improver guests have also been um, of a similar age and with kids. Um, so it's great to get the younger generation's perspective. It sounds like the gamer's perspective, because I know we've got a lot of young gamer types into chess. Not all of them maybe are as into podcasts as um, <laughs> as um, other forms of uh, chess media, but it's great to get that perspective. And someone like you, of course, does most likely, as we'll get to, have more time to spend on chess and maybe have more neuroplasticity and thus are able to perform the feats that, that you perform. So anyway, Jerry from Chess Network, one of your first discoveries. Um, of course, he has an amazing YouTube channel. And since his name came up, I might as well mention people have emailed me. Of course, I've tried to get him on the show. I haven't had luck. So <laughs> anyone, be before you email me again, don't email me. Email Jerry. Tell him to come on Perpetual Podcast. <laughs> He's bigger than me. Um, so that's the way those things work. But anyway, so you discover Jerry's amazing videos, which he is a great teacher. Um, and a super strong player too. Uh, what else? Uh, what else? When you immediately started digging in, did you? Um, what else caught your fancy? Uh, absolutely. So there's definitely a few. Uh, it, first, it was Jerry. I remember very specifically his uh, series. He he talked about. I think it was like from zero to master or something along those lines. Where he talks about like holes and positions. He talks about all of these things. And then it was John Bartholomew. Of course, and Yasser Sarawan and Ben okay. Michael, the whole St. Louis uh, yeah. crew. Uh, those three groups, Jerry, John, and the St. Louis Chess Club, were huge for my learning. Uh, it made me think like the top players because they were the ones explaining it. And I think that's where, what's really important is just like you would with the language, you need to listen to how people that are good at it actually do it and think about it. Because then you start trying to imitate it, maybe not as well, you make a ton of mistakes, but eventually you might even catch up. And John, again, John was a huge um, proponent in my improvement. He has this amazing series that I recommend to pretty much everyone I ever talked to about chess improvement, which is, I believe it's called the Chess Fundamentals. I, yeah. I, I'm struggling on the name, but he goes from, he talks about players under 1,000, the mistakes they make, and then from 1,000 to 1,200, climbing the, the rating ladder. That's, that's the name of it. Uh, and that was super helpful because it was directed advice for specific rating uh, groups. And yeah, it's just, I can't think of anything more brilliant than that series because that was... Now it's actually a lot more common. You see a lot more YouTubers doing it, but he was the real, he, he struck a gold mine there and he was, he, he came up with a really brilliant idea at the time and it yeah. helped so much. 
Yeah, I mean, John's John's series is are are great. Um, I believe he actually has one called Fundamentals. As yeah, he has one playlist called Chess Fundamentals, and one called Climbing the Rating Ladder. And of course, yeah. uh, every video that he does is great. And if we didn't mention it before, by the way, uh, Jerry, who we refer to his uh, YouTube channel is called. He's better known as Chess Network. Yeah. Um, now. So it sounds from what you're saying, Braden, like you're more of a video learner. Obviously, I interview a lot of people from the analog age. I myself am from the analog <laughs> age, so we talk a lot of chess books. And I myself, like analog age or no, I'm just not a video type learner. I find like I was not a great classroom student. I would kind of my mind would wander, basically. Um, and suddenly like five minutes have passed and I, I have no idea what was covered in the past five minutes. That happened to me in class. It happens to me with videos, whereas with books, for some reason, I can concentrate. But it sounds to me like you maybe come at it from a different perspective. Uh, what what type of learner do you think that you are, Braden? So I would try to actively act along with the video. I would try to be as uh, engaged as possible. Obviously, for some people, that's going to be more difficult, and that's okay. It's good to know your your strengths and your weaknesses. For me, I always thought books were the way to go for me at first or uh, later on, but I just, I couldn't bring myself to read. I, I used to love books when I was younger, but uh, as the games crept in, uh, in my teenage years, it definitely played an effect on just how I learn and how I think. For me, um, I would say that mainly, um, how do I say it? Uh, videos are great for for different things than books. Books are generally going to be a lot tidier with how they teach things and a lot more efficient. Uh, but I don't think efficiency is the only way to learn. Obviously, it's an important part of it, but it's also the enjoyment and the interest. And if you think about it like this bell curve, if you just have efficiency, it might be more difficult to study you you might only want to study it once a week or uh, twice a week something like that but if it's something like video content and it's more enjoyable for you hey maybe it's about a half as efficient but you're spending two three times the amount of time it makes up for it and it's all about getting the hours in but also the efficiency and uh, i think that's one thing that people forget is uh, just because one thing is less efficient or maybe less efficient than the other doesn't mean it's not good in itself, I guess. So first of all, Braden, that's an amazing point that I, for all my hundreds of hours of talking chess on this podcast, I don't think anyone has brought up the fact that, um, yes, it might be less efficient, but if you can do more of it, then the ROI could be greater overall. Um, but one thing that comes to mind is... Um, all, with all respect, Braden, you might have a little bit more time than a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> because we've had, uh, you know, as I mentioned, the last two adult improver guests have both been working dads. You know, we have people trying to squeeze in chest study time um, on commutes and stuff like that. And I certainly feel that push and pull because I'm trying to get better. And of course, the work that I need to do most is like deliberate practice that that uh, demands high energy, you know, as, uh, as um, Jonathan Rousen said in Chess for Zebras, improvement begins at the edge of your comfort zone. And I have, Absolutely. that's what I have the hardest time like gathering my energy for. Whereas like reviewing opening lines on Chessable on my phone, even a little tactics trainer is okay. But when it comes to like blindfold training and stuff like that, I tend to um, shirk it to the side. 
So anyway, um, just to give us some context, Braden, let's um, let's zoom out a little bit. So sure. you you were finishing high school when you got bitten by the chest bug, and like what's been going on from a life perspective in terms of like how much time you've been able to spend on chess in the the last few years. So I was able to spend quite a bit of time on chess, um, like during high school and and after. Uh, I I had some illnesses to to deal with mental and physical uh, i wasn't in the best shape and i kind of just directed all my energy at chess and that is why i improved i'm not saying that uh everyone's going to be able to do it not because i think i'm special or or smart it's because i had so much more time than everyone else to actually work on it and i acknowledge that uh and that is one of like the weirder parts uh of of my life where I was actually a high school dropout. I, I dropped out right before finishing uh, because it got to the point where I had uh, really bad anxiety and depression where I, I couldn't really bring myself to school and my weights, I started losing way too much weight. So I didn't even have any physical energy to do so either. So what could I do? I could play chess online. I could work on online school. Uh, and that's that's what I did for about two years. And yeah, that's that's why I got so good at chess. And that's another thing, as we went and talked about before, when we're talking about the efficiency and the time spent, uh, I'm one of those cases where I was able to get rid of or not worry as much about efficiency because I had so much more time than everyone else. Okay, well, first of all, um, thank you for being willing to, to talk about, um, obviously, uh, physical issues, physical health issues are something we only have limited control over, but mental health is um, also, we probably have limited control over it, but it's important to be proactive and it's great to be open about uh, mental health issues. And of course, chess can, <laughs> again, can be an escape or, <laughs> oh, it absolutely. You, or it can sink you deeper into the abyss. Oh, um, it, it did for a while. I, I'm not going to lie. That's uh, that, It had a definite, a definite part to play. Uh, in in many of my burnouts, where it was like the one good thing. But obviously, when it's the one good thing, losses hurt more and wins mean, I guess, sometimes mean more. But in my experience, they actually meant less over time. And, and that's why I just had to had to quit for a while and, and rejoin society, as they say. <laughs> yeah. And, and by the way, you know, the point shouldn't be lost that you've parlayed this, uh, this um, deep dive into the chess world into into a career now that you'll be um, joining Chessable and uh, moving to Barcelona. So um, it yeah. doesn't have to be like some like Lusion Defense, which of course was a famous Nabokov novel um, and turned into a, a movie. Actually, I think the novel had a different title. But anyway, it doesn't just have to be this uh, this like uh, endless like plunge into the abyss. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so so. I want to talk more, Braden, about like concretely. So you're learning from the videos, but and I want to talk about um, like how this, um, how you mix this in with playing. So, but first, we we want to take a break and hear from our friends at aimchess.com. 
Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by aimchess.com. Aim Chess is a website that analyzes your games from the major chess sites and tells you what you need to work on or what you are doing well. It can be tactics, openings, a specific opening. I find it to be a fun tool to check in on every so often, every week or two. And I also find it to be helpful in terms of uh, plugging leaks in my game. And since you last heard me talk about Aim Chess, they've added some new features as they continuously are. Right now they've got um, a blindfold tactics feature, they've got time management training, and they've got common checkmate patterns, all as new features for you to check out. So as always, you can check it out for free. And then if you decide to subscribe to Aim Chess, be sure to use the promo code PERPETUAL30 to save some money and let them know that you came from us. The details are in the show notes for aimchess.com. So let's get back to the show. And we are back. So, Braden, as I was just hinting at, one thing I'm curious about is, so once you became super enthusiastic about chess and plunged pretty deep into it, you mentioned you watched a lot of videos, you named a few of your favorites, but how did you balance this with playing and what was your approach to playing? Like, are you playing Blitz? I know you're a Blitz uh, aficionado. Were you playing Blitz right from the beginning and or were you playing slower games? And uh, how did you um, analyze the games? What was your approach to doing that? So the funny thing is, I wouldn't say I was that great at Blitz for a long time until I came back to chess uh, a bit more seriously over the past, I'd say, six to 12 months. I was always stronger at Rapid by a significant margin, uh, where most of my peers were much better at their Blitz. It was the opposite for me, uh, where it really showed that I had better positional understanding. uh, And of course, positional understanding doesn't really mean as much, especially in blitz when you're missing forks and double attacks and all of these uh, more simple things. But I think uh, the biggest problem for me is I wasn't getting enough experience. And when I started working with my first coach, Jean Bartholomew, who I I love this video so much, I had to get some lessons with him. Uh, He was very... Uh, serious about this idea of playing rapid games for improvement. And I I took that to heart and I played a lot of rapid and I didn't play pretty much any blitz at all. So of course I wasn't really great at blitz uh, for a very long time until, until I decided to, to do it more for fun uh, recently. But that was probably one of the best pieces of advice I had overall uh, while trying to improve is is rapid is the perfect mix where you get to calculate long lines you get to seriously consider positional ideas but it's also not super long where it's draining and you're able to play multiple in a day get experience in different openings different positions and it's i i personally believe it is the perfect mix to to become a better player so that's uh yeah that's stand yeah, that's good advice. And for, for anyone listening newer to chess rated, say, below 1400, I definitely, uh, if you're going to play Blitz, I say do so in moderation because it sounds like the process that Braden is describing is like he was able to sort of forge the patterns in his brain by playing slower games. And then when he came back to it, he was able to sort of uh, pick up the pace and sort of do a faster version just as like when you're learning a new physical task. Um, you want to break it down into slower components and start by doing it slow and like a pitching motion in baseball um, or like, uh, 
you know, a penalty kick in soccer or whatever it might be. You want to develop the muscle memory slowly and then speed it up or a swim stroke. Um, so when you're playing these rapid games, Braden, um, what's your approach to reviewing them? I mean, you're getting lessons from John Bartholomew. So, of course, that's got to figure into your success. Legendary teacher that, uh, that JB <laughs> is. But um, are you just are you analyzing them on your own or strictly with your teacher? And how much time are you spending on each game and, and stuff like that? Uh, looking back, I can't recall specifically how much I, I do remember trying to make sure I at least looked at each game. And I, at the time, just tried to focus on one bad thing I did each game. What was the worst move I made? And usually if you have several bad moves, then focus on the first one because the later ones might not matter if you're already in a worse, much worse position. A blunder is not going to matter as much as maybe a serious mistake that you made earlier on that led to that blunder. And that really helped me uh, in a lot of ways where I started breaking out of my shell, uh, at least positionally speaking, where I, I focused a lot more on pawn structures and all of these things that might not matter, especially to, to the lower levels. But it, it really interested me because... It was just this idea that I didn't have to uh, always know like, okay, in this exact position, I have to do this. It's just if I have an understanding of pawn structures, I can get a better idea of how to play the games. And that's that's um, really what I would try to take away from analyzing all my games is just what would I do in a position similar to this from now on and try to take away the best possible plans. So yeah. that's that's definitely what I'd focus on. So that's a great insight about the biggest mistake. Yeah, something I always mention and to you know embrace in my own games too is uh, uh, just focusing on what really determined the outcome of the game, um, at least as sort of the the core takeaway. Now, but Braden, when it comes to pawn structures, um, how, yeah. how did you learn that? Because I know a lot of improving players uh, find that to be one of the sort of squishier concepts to attempt to learn on their own. That's really interesting. For me, uh, tactics was nearly impossible uh, for me. I, I struggled greatly with it. I <laughs> I would blame Master Serwan because I was such a huge fan of his and Karpov's uh, that I tried to model my play after them and tried to uh, think as they would think. And Yasser Serwan uh, talks a lot about pawn structures in his uh, lectures. So that was definitely an inspiration for me. Uh, but I do think the the video content helped so much. Chestnut Work, uh, John Bartholomew, and the St. Louis Chess Club, they all had really great uh, lectures on, on things like pawn structures, and they made it digestible and just understandable for, for lower rating levels. And there's still so much about pawn structures, I don't even know. And... I think that's the beauty of it, where there's always something more to learn. But if you get the fundamentals down, then that can take you a very long way. And the fundamentals uh, are things like holes in a position, where, where are the weak squares and where are the weak pawns. And these concepts can be learned pretty quickly. I think uh, when people think of pawn structures, they think way too deep about it. But it's all about just mastering, mastering the fundamentals of it first. Okay, good stuff. Yeah, and I definitely, for listeners who haven't read it, uh, Simple Chess that um, I did a podcast about, 
with another JB. Uh, recommend that book, and you could listen to the podcast about it if you haven't. But it's a great guide to to how to exploit weaknesses in pawn structures. And I know, shout out to Neil Bruce. He's going deep on pawn structures right now, and Good. he's gonna he's gonna finally do uh, his adult improver interview hopefully over the summer, where he's gonna compare some of the pawn structure books. So something to look forward to there. But Braden, one thing we haven't gotten into yet is I know uh, you didn't emphasize openings as much as a lot of improvers. Um, so I'm curious, and, and I want to get to that as a broader topic, but in terms of structures, I'm curious like how you were able to even categorize, like if you have a, a, a rapid game and you reach a certain structure and you feel like you didn't handle it right, like how would you then research how to handle it? Like, do you do it by the opening or do you just look for doubled pawns or an outpost or um, just go to your coach and they give you um, a framework? <laughs> how did that work? Uh, it was a mixture of everything. Uh, I, I think like just dogmatically one learning just one way isn't really the best way to learn because usually it takes a bunch of different sources to just hit you over the head until it sticks in. Uh, so of course it was, it was John, it was the videos, uh, it was some opening study. Uh, I wouldn't say that was a huge focus. It was definitely when I first started because I was so like, I never didn't want to know what to do until I realized that studying openings is kind of fighting against the tide where eventually I'm going to get a position I don't know. So why would I focus on learning openings when I can learn about how the openings somewhat look, how they're structured? Uh, and yeah, like, uh, as you said, uh, how did I study them? I studied them based on, on space, outposts, uh, all these fundamentals that you learn from uh, learning about pawn structures. And I think that's the great part about learning about pawn structures instead of openings is, sure, openings, it's great to know some, uh, some stuff in an opening, like basic traps, like uh, the knight takes e5 stuff uh, in the Rui Lopez after bishop takes b5, uh, things like that. But I think uh, if you overdo it when you're just starting out, it's easy to forget that information, but if you learn ideas, they, they're more likely to stick, at least for me. Uh, it, it does depend on the person, though. So that's that's how I'd put it. And was it like a conscious decision to for you to sort of de-emphasize openings? Because I think a lot of people, like everyone or lots of people know, they hear coaches say people study openings too much, but they just find them fun. Um, and they're they're more digestible, as, as Greg Shahadi, my uh, I am pointed out on the show um, there there you can learn something if you set out to learn something about an opening um, you can learn it whereas uh, a lot of these more nebulous concepts even though they if you put them all together you become a better chess player they're not as um they're they're not as direct so was it a conscious decision on your part like I'm gonna skip openings or was it just pursuing the aspects of chess that interested you uh, it was definitely the the approach where uh, it was like Simon says, except for teacher says. Uh, teacher says it, I do it. Uh, I was very serious about that because when you pay for lessons, you want to get the most out of your lessons. You want to get the best improvement you can. Uh, so at that time, I was definitely very uh, focused on the efficiency of the learning, but also still making sure it was as fun as possible. And everywhere I'd hear, openings 
aren't really the best thing to study unless you're a really strong player. So I just avoided them. Uh, not to say I didn't study them at all. I'd say it was probably less than a tenth uh, wow. of my overall studies, though. Okay, and you mentioned Braden being weaker tactically compared to positionally, at least when you were starting out. How how much time were you spending on tactics? Like, what percentage would you say you were doing puzzles and stuff like that uh, during this period? Um, it's really hard to hard to say. Uh, probably not as much as I should have. Uh, I I do remember trying my best <laughs> with my tactics, but it's. It was one of those parts where that's a lot more mentally draining to me because you have to look through so many lines, look ahead. Whereas positionally, you can just look at the one position in front of you. And I think as Roman Jinjiashvili said, uh, grandmasters don't need to look 10 moves ahead. They just see the next move, but it's the right one. And and that one really stuck with me because it's, in my opinion, how I hear that quote is he's talking about pawn structures and he's talking about the positional factors in a position where you just have to have the general sense of what's going on and that can be enough. Sure, I made horrible mistakes in my classical games because of that and I just miss basic tactics. But when I was winning games, they're always the longer ones. They're always the grinds, but uh, but I was always proud of those wins. That's cool. Um, so let's break it down more. So we're, I feel like we're piecing together how much time you spent on different um, aspects of chess improvement. And obviously it's going to change over time. So this is not going to be like a um, um, 100% uh, accurate um, estimate. But if you're mostly playing and watching videos and then sprinkle in 10% on openings, um, uh, throw in some tactics, like where are we percentage-wise? If you, if you add up all the hours in a day that you're doing chess, uh, what percentage is watching videos? What percent is playing? What percent is analyzing and all that? Uh, watching videos is probably was probably the majority. Uh, uh, no, it absolutely was the majority. Uh, at least sixty percent. Uh, and it was because I was taking this approach with videos more so of passive learning. I'd watch the same lectures three, four times uh, over a few weeks. Uh, and I would constantly just revisit things. I would just watch things for the enjoyment of it uh, instead of specifically always to learn things. Of course, I did try to stay as engaged as possible, especially the first few times, but um, I pretty much always have it in the background, uh, just listening to it like it's pretty much music, uh, <laughs> as sad as that sounds. But uh, it, it, didn't, it did definitely help uh, with my chess vocabulary and just... Uh, my approaches to things is I would just listen to how they talk about things and how they approach things and, and try to really adopt that to myself. So, um, yeah, again, I'd say maybe 60% for, for video content, maybe, maybe 10%, uh, for, for openings at most. And then the remaining for, for playing, uh, <laughs> Maybe actually 5% for like tactics or something. Wow. Not a lot of tactics. I should have done more, definitely. Well, but... I mean, it's hard to argue with your results, so I wouldn't necessarily say that. Um, but I love what I love, Braden, is how different this is than everyone else I've talked to. <laughs> so uh, anyone who feels like we have this optimized can uh, disabuse themselves of that notion. I mean, there's really, there's so many ways to learn chess. Um, and there's no real right or, right or wrong answer. It's really inspirational hearing like how you, 
you made things fit with with what you were interested in and made sure it didn't become a grind. Um, one one follow up that comes to mind is so you you mentioned having these videos on in the background. Like, what does that mean you would be doing in the foreground? Like, are you playing chess while it's on? No, no, are no. no. Like I, uh, when I was playing chess, it was like everything was off. Maybe I had music on, but I was like hyper focused. All okay. of my games, I like especially the rapid ones. Um, 100% of my focus had to be on the game. Music for me, I can I can drown out or sometimes it even helps me focus, but I could not listen to a lecture in the background while playing a game. Uh, it just would throw me off. Uh, plus, like, I don't know, maybe there's like, that just sounds like too close to like cheating almost. <laughs> right. Uh, for me, it would just be like, if I'm eating, uh, I'd have it just like, just there or like, uh, while I'm going to sleep or while I'm wa- out for a walk, I just listen, listen to one of them. I treat it almost like a podcast in itself. Uh, some of the lessons just everyday life, I guess, just pretty much constantly always listening. Uh, and I definitely went a bit overboard with it, but I, I think it was probably the, one of the bigger, uh, additions to, to my improvement. I hope you went with the Yasser videos when you were going to sleep. He's got the most soothing oh, yeah. voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, cool. Well, I want to I wanna ask a few more questions about sort of uh, your regimen. But first, we are going to uh, take a break and hear from a company called Chessable.com. This is your weekly reminder that Chessable.com has a ton of high-quality material. Whether you're looking to learn a certain opening, want to see the latest Super GM repertoire that has been published, want to find a tactics course appropriate for your level, whatever it may be, go to chessable.com and have a look around. Don't forget they have tons of cool free content too, like their short and sweet courses about various openings. And all of the things that they offer feature their proprietary move trainer technology, the secret sauce that lets you actually remember all of the new chess moves and opening sequences that you learn. So once again, chessable.com, check out their ever-expanding excellent library. And we are back. Uh, so, Braden, you've made amazing progress as we've documented. So, one thing I'm curious about as your rating gets higher and higher is if your study approach has changed at all as you continue to improve. See, I I can't answer that uh, as a straight question just because I haven't taken my study as seriously uh, in the past year, maybe even two. Uh so it's it's a bit more difficult to answer that because I was much more serious about my study when I first started playing and when I had those uh, rating gains. But now it's just, I think, uh, all that general knowledge, all that uh, background noise kind of seeped in and uh, started actually showing in my play. And that's what caused any recent improvements at all is just that. Uh, or the fact that I was always lacking in experience, but had a lot more theoretical understanding in that sense. Uh, theoretical uh, meaning like pawn structures, positional play. But mm-hmm. uh, other than that, I'd say just to enjoy the game more and just to just to play more. Uh, I always I always liked the playing part. I always liked the competition part. And I I got sidetracked a bit too much by the studying where I just I just want to enjoy myself now. And that's that's what I'm focused on. I, I am looking to improve. I 
hope I can get the CM title one day. I think that'd be awesome. But for now, it's just enjoy enjoy the games. If I make a mistake, look it up and see how I could have improved on it. Yeah, and the CM title, that's just 2,000 FIDE, is that right? I think it's 2,200. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, either way, definitely doable for you considering, uh, considering what you've done so far. Um, and how did tournaments work for you? So I know you were playing reasonably actively in Canada when you first started. That's how you got a Canadian rating. But then as, as the quarantine period, uh, the COVID period came up, like how, how did tournaments figure into your, what you were doing in past years and do you, any ambitions you have going forward? So I, I quit chess, kind of. I, I uh, semi-retired from it, I guess, <laughs> even though it's kind of a weird thing to say as a, a 22-year-old now. But I, I quit chess uh, about a year or two before COVID even started. Uh, and through COVID, I uh, reignited my, my love for the game. Uh, so tournaments weren't really affected because I wasn't doing any tournaments. Um, I haven't played in a tournament, I think, since 2018. So it's definitely been a little while. Uh, but I I was hoping hoping to play. I was hoping for COVID to be, be done by now so I could play, but just uh, have to wait a little bit longer. And I don't know. I don't know exactly how my, my approach will be. I, I would like to start studying openings because everyone talks about how much how enjoyable it is and I want to see what all the, the craze is about. So that's that's one thing that's definitely on my mind. But uh, I, I'm still waiting on the move in reality. Yeah. I think that's yeah. that's the biggest hurdle right now is uh, not really, I guess, playing uh, games with a national rating is fine, but it's not going to help me get my CM title because they're uh, they're not often FIDE rated anyways. So not yeah, so weird yet. So when are you moving to Barcelona for, by the way, Chessable and uh, the Play Magnus company has an office in Barcelona, just to put the pieces together for anyone listening. So I'm not very specifically sure on the timeline. Uh, I'm still just waiting on the basic visa application stuff. So okay. it could be, could be three to five months. I, okay. I'm hoping for August, but could be as late as the end of the year. Okay. Well, hopefully it happens sooner rather than later. Um, yeah. And and getting back to what you were saying, Braden, about the break, let's let's hear a bit more about that. Like, how long was it, and was it cold turkey, or was it just like I'm not going to do tournaments anymore? It was. It's hard to say if it was. It was cold turkey from tournament play, I guess, but it was not specifically like I still played every once in a while, but it was uh, fractions of what I was playing when I was invested in the game. It was kind of just a culmination of mental, physical health, and just a, what in my opinion was a horrible performance uh, that was clearly affected by mental and physical health at the time, uh, where I was at my, my uh, lightest weight at the time. And I was just severely just fatigued just tired and out of my mind, but I'd play in the tournament and I would do, I would just make these basic mistakes, even at the point of being 17, 1800. Uh, and it just like, it just became too much. It was just too much of a, 
an anxiety for me where I just had to, I just had to step away and just kind of quit. And I'd, I'd play some online games and I would always take those ones seriously, but I've, I've learned to relax just a little bit. And that's, uh, that's the win for me. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're super young. I mean, I know no one young likes to be told that, but yeah, 22, you're just, just starting to figure things out. So, uh, yeah, no, no need to, uh, you know, it's good to, um, to take breaks when, when needed. And is, if you don't mind my asking, how, how's your health right now, Brayden? It's good. I, uh, gained maybe a little bit too much weight. <laughs> I, I should probably, probably shed some pounds, but, uh, I've, I've made some good breakthroughs mentally and physically, uh, where I feel like I'm, I'm a functional person now, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> uh, and, I'm just, uh, I'm hopeful for the future now, which is great. That's great. Yeah. And um, you'll have, of course, a big chess network in Spain. So that, that will be fun. No, no pun intended with the chess <laughs> network. <laughs> if you um, weren't going to say, I would have to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so since we've been kind of uh, surrounding it, let's dive into one of our Patreon mailbag questions relating to actually tournaments. Um, Sure. So this one is from Stefan Bagria. Stefan, thank you for the support. Uh, listeners who support the podcast via Patreon or PayPal can submit questions for the guests. And Stefan says, hello, Braden. Happy to see you on the podcast. Do you think that moving to Europe will help you find OTB tournaments easier? If so, do you wish to do so? And how do you think the situation compares with, Stefan said, the U.S., but let's say North America? So... One thing, at least my understanding, I could be wrong about this, is that there are more more tournaments uh, in Europe are just FIDE rated, uh, or it is easier to find FIDE rated tournaments. For Canada, there there weren't many uh, many strong FIDE rated tournaments in in my area. There were some dedicated ones that were maybe every quarter. Um, so like there might be like a spring, fall, uh, summer, and winter render one but other than uh the one that i'm thinking of there there's not as much and my impression uh i could again be wrong is that especially going to a place like spain and barcelona specifically which is a city i'm i'm very hopeful that there's gonna be a lot more uh tournaments going on especially since it's a city it'll be all close together and i won't have to travel ridiculous uh distances to just play a tournament yeah. Plus, you're young. You know, you should be traveling, seeing Europe anyway. So, oh, I'm I'm not much of a traveler, <laughs> honestly. Which is the funny part, because Spain, right? But yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful country, and you know, you're young. Your taste could change. I'm still gonna encourage you. <laughs> okay. But, uh, but <laughs> yeah, you my know, mom does that too. <laughs> yeah, obviously, uh, to to each one's own. Um, so, so. We have another Patreon mailbag question, and this one actually is related to Chessable. Um, Column Higgins says, congrats on your new job with them. And what would you say is the essential role that Chessable plays in chess improvement? And what does somebody need to do in addition for fully a rounded improvement that Chessable doesn't already cover? Which obviously, you know, again, we are sponsored by Chessable, but we've given plenty of non-Chessable uh, recommendations. But have did you use them at all in, in your... Uh, your improvement regimen, Braden? Yeah. So since I'm a uh, young, hip, <laughs> cool, I can't, I can't say that without laughing. Uh, 
since I'm younger and was a gamer, uh, books were difficult for me. Uh, I like to think our generation can't even read anymore, (laughs) (laughs) which is a hyperbole, but uh, Chessable was great because it just digitalized the whole chess book learning experience where instead of having a board where you're setting up a position, there's an annotation for just one line and you have to move the pieces around, remember all the moves going back and making sure you actually set the position back up right. Uh, things like that, that just takes so much time. Uh, there, There's arguments to be made about whether you need a real board or not uh, to actually improve at the game. And that's a different argument for a different day. But for me, Chessable just sped up all of that and made the the pain go away in that sense. So that's that's one of the the things that I, I used it for is I would just use it if I if I wanted a book, I would just make sure Chessable had it and just studied it there instead. And do you have any specific recommendations? Hundred end games you should know. You really uh, did it? You really did the hundred end games? I could yes. test you. You're ready for the test. Um Cool. Yeah, because I know a lot of people started, myself included, and didn't even finish them. Well, oh. it's been a while since I've done it. Uh, I haven't reviewed my lines in a while, but if you have any tests, then I'm willing to take it. <laughs> wow. Okay. Maybe that'll be an outtake. Um, and and by the way, what are you going to be? What's your professional role going to be at Chessable, Braden? So I'm a video editor. I I have been working with them for a while now, uh, since last August, I believe. I, yeah, I think it was last August. Uh, I could be could be off by a month, but yeah, I've been a video editor there, and okay. uh, they they showed an interest in me after the the uh, longest chess game video. You should explain that. Uh, so <laughs> I made a video on what is the longest theoretical chess game, uh, assuming both sides are trying to actually achieve it, and it just covered things like. Uh, the 50 move rule, which are a pawn or a piece has to move uh, within 50 moves or, or 100 tempo. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, three move repetition I also put in there, even though I didn't have to. I just made it more difficult for myself because I know some people would uh, would nitpick that. <laughs> so I tried to cater towards all those things. Uh, and the yeah, it was just this arduous process of Let's just do some math and let's actually recreate the game and uh, cause me some stress for about a week or two. And it was actually a yeah. lot of fun. I, I like stressing myself out over those things. Yeah, it's a crazy video. I'll, I'll link to it, of course, in the show description. But yeah, Braden just went in incredibly granular detail about like what would have to happen for the longest possible chess game. The, the video is about 20 minutes long. Is that right, Braden? Uh, I think it's about 10. Okay. I guess it just felt felt longer. No offense. (laughs) No, no, no. It probably did, yeah. (laughs) There were so many permutations. Um, And, you know, so how you don't, from as a high school dropout, I'm guessing you don't have like an (laughs) intense math background. Um, So, how did you even like tackle that, uh, the question of what would the longest possible chess game be? Uh, Just using math. (laughs) Do you feel like you're. You just weren't motivated by school, but you have a sort of. Um, I um, I have difficulty with uh, with, or I, at the time I had difficulty more so with the showing up. It wasn't the actually being there, and it wasn't the the content that was difficult for me. Uh, at least that I, I'd like to think it was more so the the showing up and actually being there that that was more of the problem at the gotcha. time. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. 
not to say I was a great student. I, I wasn't really, I, I was always uh, off in my own head and just in my own world. But um, when I get, got more serious about school uh, for about a year, I was pretty serious about school, starting a little bit like middle of high school. Uh, and I was doing actually pretty well, which was nice. But then then the effects started kicking in and, and I had to drop out. Okay. Um, and we've got a, a couple loose ends I want to tie up, Braden. Sure. Number one, um, you mentioned earlier that, of course, the John Bartholomew was your coach for a while. Did you did you have other coaches after that? Yes. So uh, my other coach was Eric Rosen, who I'm also a big fan of. Like everyone that I've worked or learned anything from in chess, it's it's amazing. Like everyone's the nicest, like so nice. Yeah, Eric is Eric. one of the nicest people ever. John is one of the nicest people ever. Uh, I briefly um, worked with Kostya on some stuff, Kostya Kovitsky, and he's the nicest guy ever. Like it's just yeah. insane. Like uh, chess is uh, so many great people, and it's it's really nice. I agree. Great guys and great teachers. So Eric, of course, um, at least in his videos, has a pretty strong emphasis on opening. So. How did how did that work as uh, someone kind of uh, not as into openings? What did you guys work on? Um, so if I recall, actually, this this brings up a memory I didn't even know I had. Um, I, I I could be wrong about this, but I think uh, one of the things that we would do is I would get like I it's not uh, when I say I didn't really study openings. I still had my my openings that I played. I played the Roy Lopez. Uh, I played the Sicilian, then I dropped out for the Carol Khan because it was less theory. Uh, but I would just, whenever we got to that position uh, and whenever we got to a position where I was a lot less familiar or I started making mistakes, that's when we'd focus on it instead of studying the theory and learning from books and, uh, and all of these things. It was just more so, okay, I made a mistake here. What should I be doing instead? Gotcha. Um, and what did you do with Kost, with I am Kostyakovyutsky? Like, what was the nature of your your studying with with him? Uh, it was more um, for for streaming content. So it was we just went over some of my my uh, last tournament games that I played about two years back, and we just talked about possible improvements uh, and how I should be uh, refocusing how to how to study again. Okay. And um, speaking of, of content, you know, you mentioned that it was your video for your YouTube channel that got you a job at Chessable. How did you get into creating videos? I mean, I know you have an interest in film generally, but was that just self-taught? Yeah. So I always had this interest in uh, making videos. It's It's been since I think I was like 11 or 12. Uh, I used to make gaming videos on a now deleted YouTube channel. <laughs> uh, and they, they were awful, but it was just really, really fun to just share, share things like that. And then I just kind of stopped it. It wasn't that I didn't love it anymore or was burned out or something like, like it was, uh, like I had with chess. It was more so it just kind of, I just stopped doing it. Right. I'm sure everyone has that experience with something. And then I remember very specifically, and I'm very grateful to this person, I saw this video by a guy named Javid L. Starrett. Uh, and his YouTube channel is Good Blood. And he made this analysis video of The Legend of Zelda, uh, which is a game. But it was the most professional documentary-like 
presentation I've ever seen. And it just, I, I like, this was after I had kind of taken a bit more of a serious break from chess. Uh, and it just, it floored me. It was amazing. Uh, I, I still can't get it out of my mind to this, to this day. And that's why I made the ultimate guide to chess and started making videos like that. Uh, which was my first kind of semi-animated video. I took um, like more of an animated approach for two reasons, because Java did it and I, I was just a huge fan of, uh, of his and he was a huge inspiration of mine, but also because my computer was just so bad, I couldn't record it normally. So I'd have to animate it in, in an editing software because then I could render it out normally and it would not lag in the video. So. <laughs> So yeah, that's uh, that's essentially how I got into editing and and where I got to where I am is that's pretty cool. Just yeah. figured figured it out on your own and turned it into a career. Yeah. <laughs> um, and did you have like a- ambitions with your channel? Like, were you trying to to because uh, it sounds in chess like you mainly it was just pursuing what interested you and whatever happens because of that happens. Was it a similar thing with videos or were you like I'm gonna you know build a big YouTube channel and find an audience sort of thing. I think there's always this dream and not expectation, but more of a hope uh, that YouTube would be a career. Now, I I don't really have the same mindset. I, I want to treat it more like kind of like a diary. Just put things that I'm proud of up there, uh, tell stories that I want to tell, and just uh, leave something that I can look back on. Uh, yeah, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say that's admirable. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I think this chasing numbers thing, it, it can work for a while, but I think it's unsustainable in the long run. Uh, if it's something you're not happy doing. And I, I definitely tried to, I used to stream a lot on Twitch, uh, after, after my break. And I used to, uh, make, make videos that I, I now deleted. I deleted a lot of video- videos. I probably made like probably a thousand deleted videos at this point. Wow. <laughs> but uh, they were all just videos that I wanted. I wanted those numbers because, you know, you you just get this, um, not jealousy, but this inspiration from others to make things like that. Like, oh, I want to do that. I want to be like YouTube famous, but does it make you happy? And fame is kind of unfulfilling in my opinion. Uh, it's just like... It's just what others think of you. And at the end of the day, all that really matters is what you think of yourself. So I realized that was kind of like a, a toxic mindset to have to, to think about the numbers. And now I just want to do it for me. So Braden, that's a really admirable mindset. And it's, it's a cool story. It's cool to hear how it's sort of, despite like the sort of release of um, um, extrin- extrinsic motivation has has led you actually to a potential career and you're moving to a fun city. And um, I, I mean, it'll be, it'll be fun to see, but before we let you go, Braden, I just want to tie up a couple loose ends on the chess front. Um, so number one, I, even though we talked a lot about the fact that you were spending a lot of time on chess, um, just to give listeners some context, like at your peak, h- how much time do you think you were spending on chess per day? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> uh, like post dropout, like, when uh like especially like during the summer because it was like it was like i somewhat dropped out uh 
the second last year at the very end. And then there was summer and I, I wasn't working that summer. That summer, oh my gosh, let's, let me think. Easily like 12 hours a day. Oh, wow. Like That's easily, crazy. like, yeah. it, <laughs> but that includes passive things like watching yeah. videos and, uh, but it, it was a lot. And uh, that's why the sure the efficiency uh, versus the time spent on things can seem a bit skewed, especially in my perspective. So it is very specific person to person. Uh, but if if you're someone that has a lot of time, then I would genuine gener genuinely consider uh, balancing the efficiency versus the time, as in the enjoyment you have of things. But gotcha. yeah, like twelve hours. Uh, easily <laughs> yeah the, yeah that's uh not going to be replicable but <laughs> yeah, it, absolutely not. no <laughs> but on the other hand when you did take a break and you said you were still playing here and there but basically kind of checked out from chess like what was the duration of that break were, were we talking weeks months about a year at least a year so really all this progress you've made is in three years not four years um i i would like to think it was just in the first two because that was when all the serious studies happened. Mm -hmm. uh, since then, I haven't had too much of a serious, uh, serious outlook on the game. Yeah, although uh, I mean, people like Hikaru, famously, and many others, like learn by playing. So yeah. you may, you may, uh, you know, poo-poo that aspect of your your <laughs> game, but it still counts. And the fact absolutely, that you took, yeah. And the fact that you took a year off gives the rest of us a fighting chance. Because if you average the number of hours. And stretch it out to four years instead of three. It's maybe yeah. uh, maybe slightly more doable for some people. But <laughs> in any event, um, all these improvement ideas are quite inspiring, Braden. And like I mentioned earlier, I love that it's just like, you know, I mean, in addition to probably interviewing 200 people um, and some more than once, um, you know, something like 20 adult improvers. And your your approach is just entirely different than any of the other accomplished chess players I've spoken with so it's it's cool to hear it's cool to always hear of uh new, new ways to um to excel at this game yeah it's um I, it's interesting to hear i i don't feel uh different really from from others in that sense i just it's this it's just like not <laughs> i was about to say hive mentality but it's like it almost is with chess it's just kind of like it's a just a very personal community so uh, the, the, it doesn't really feel like I did anything too too special, honestly. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of people who would, who would take those rating gains for sure. Um, so, so Braden, is, is there anything else you'd like to, to mention before we, um, we call it an interview? Uh, not that I can recall. Uh, I hope the listeners enjoyed. I, I definitely can ramble, so... Hopefully I didn't uh, bother them too much, but no, I just wanted yeah. to thank you for, for having me on. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. No, and thank you for being so open about uh, the, the health issues that you mentioned. I'm glad to hear that that you're doing better. And um, yeah, that's always always the most important thing. Um, so, and in terms of uh, tracking your progress, staring in awe at your rating graph, Braden, um, what's, what's uh, the best way to, to reach you? Um, I know you're reasonably active on Twitter. Um, I'll link to your YouTube channel. Is there anything else I should uh, put in the show notes for people to to track? Yeah, I would say just um, if you're if you're wanting to message me or anything, I'd say yeah, Twitter is the way to go. 
and YouTube, I'll, I'll actually be posting a new series relatively soon. So that'll be exciting. But other than that, um, it's, it's just those two. So, okay. And do you dare tease what this new series will be? It's on chess improvement. It's just my, uh, breakdown of not just how I improved, but, uh, what I believe should be focused on, uh, on each level, but also not just that, but it's going to be looking at how I'm going to approach getting back into the game and trying to take it seriously again. Awesome. Sounds good. All right. I'll be checking it out. Braden sounds good. And, uh, thanks again for, for coming on perpetual chess. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks, as always, to my producer, Matthew Passy. Thanks to you all for listening. And thanks to those of you who help spread the word, whether it be positive reviews on podcast platforms, telling friends, social media, all that stuff helps get the word out and it is much appreciated. By the way, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at BennyFischel1. You can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group to continue the conversation, sometimes even with that week's guests. The Perpetual Chess Instagram page is back in action as well at Perpetual Chess. And you can also find all these links on the Perpetual Chess webpage, perpetualchesspod.com. But of course, the main purpose of these closing credits is to thank everyone who supports Perpetual Chess financially. Without you all, we would not be able to put out such a consistent and hopefully quality product. So thanks so much. It really means the world to me. And in particular, I would like to give thanks to the following people and entities, starting off with my friends at chessable.com. Aside from that, I would like to thank David Lazarus of LasmanChess.com. He is the coach of Dave's Young Tigers on Lee Chess, our friends at Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, the Abysmal Depths of Chess blog, Adapta Interactive Web Designs and Services, the Apprend Chess Twitch channel, Anidi Deer, Austin Clough, Benjamin Porto, Bill Sigler, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, the Charlotte Chess Center, the Chess Central's Chess blog, ChessMood.com, Chris Flanagan, Chris Lott, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel He, Danny Davidson, David Schreiber, I am Dimitri Schneider, I am Eric Rosen, Eric Tam, Ewan Richardson, Farhan Thawar, Faraz Sawaf, Gary Foreman, Glenn Downing, Greg Harfst, Greg Shahadi, Gregory Gullick, Guvin Manet, James Holyhead, James Kennedy, Jeff Martinson, Jens Green, Jeremy Nielsen, John Jernigan, John Rockefeller, John Mac- MacArthur, Kelly Palmer, Kevin O'Callaghan, King Selt, the King's Crusher YouTube channel, one of the original chess YouTube channels, Lucio Casada Silva, the law offices of Stuart Katz, Matthew Feeney, Michael Can, FM Michael Oblin, Mike Zelazny, Mr. Mike Shahadi, the legendary Mr. Dodgy, the Nerd Nays Twitch channel, GM Peter Prohaska, Peter Sodhi, the Playmore Chess Academy of the Hamden Chess Club, Reuven Fisher, Reverend Roy Fry, the Seattle Chess Club, Shane Unger, Stefan Kelty, Stephen Martinez, Sven Gearson, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryant of Strong Chess, Todd Kennedy, the Vintage Patsers, which is a chess.com improver group. You can look them up. Wayne Bean, William Hogarth, and I also would like to thank Aaron Waffler, Ace Viega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Al Hastings, Alan and Maggie Sue, 
Alex Pejas, Alexander Markovics, Antonio Cancino, FM Andre Tarakov, Dr. Andrew Perry, Angus McLeod, Barry Hessian, Bill Juniper, Bill Moran, Bill Trammell, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brett Howard Lynn, Brian Chase, Brian Mullis, Bruce Scott, Brian Tillis of Palm Beach Chess, Cameron Davis, Chad Hilton, Chess Potzer Spain, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, also known as Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Corey Butson, Costa Carras, Courtney Fry, Craig Mallon, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Naylor, Dave Saylor, David Bleskacek, David Brown, David Hamblin, David Cramley, Dalen Shelton, Dennis Parrish, Dirk Decker, FM Donnie Ariel, Dwayne Edmonds, Ed Daly, Ed Mead, Emmanuel Langual, Robitai, Ethan Smith, Hallelujah Cat, Ian Mason, Fide Arbiter, Arbiter, Arbiter excuse me, Felipe Melo Perdera, Fox Valley Chess Club, Francis Letart Lavoie, Frank Tor- Dr. Frank Tortoris, Frank Zanani, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Gautam Narula, Geert Vandervelde, Gene Stewart, George Harris, Giovanni Russo, Han Shoot, Harish Srinivasan, Howard Vihan, Jacob Kovac, Jason Apollo, Jason Murray, Jacques Pari, James Aspinwall, James Benastia, James Muir, Jason Woolham, Jadeep Chakrabarty, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, Yep Hoyland, Jerry Wells, Jesse Takumos, Jesse McNulty, Jim Ratliff, Joe DeSano, Joe Valdez, Joel Thomas Ramos, John Tooley, Juan Almaguar, Dr. John Fallon, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman of U.S. Chess, John Jeffrey, John McMurtry, Jonathan Slater, John Quist, John Tully, Jose Rodriguez, Justin Gardner, Jen Shahadi, Joel Rocky, John Thompson, GM Josh Friedel, I am Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, Kevin Pryor, I am Kostya Kovutsky of the Chess Dojo, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Kyle McAvoy, Larry Cook, Larry Ryforth, Laura Belyovsky, Macaulay Peterson, Mark Fitzpatrick, Mark Miller, Mark Wilkins, Marco Bulatovich, Martin Knudsen, Martin Krug, Matthew Passy, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, Matthias Plock, Mechanics Institute Chess Club of San Francisco, Michael Allard, Michael Hudson, Mike Clem, Mitchell Fabian, Nate Gobel, Nate Solon, Neil Bruce, Nigmat Malijanov, Nicholas Isabel, Olaf Mueller Michaels, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passanen, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Queenside Management Limited in Switzerland, Randy Temple, Ricky Grahava, Richard Hallenbach, Richard Tucker, Robert Callahan, Robert Titi, Robert Turner, Rory Coleman, Rory Yearwood, Ryan Berg, the Say Chess YouTube channel, Scott McKinnon, Scott Shepard, Sean Krauss, Sebastian Finsterwater, Walter, Sergey Magacon, Seth Ruzicka, Shane Unger, Silver Knights in Richmond, Stefan Roller, WGM Tatia Vabrahamian, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, FM Timothy Wall, Tom Edsel, Tomas Komanich, Tony Rattel, Tyron Price, Vishnu Srikumar, William Brock, William Peterson, FM Zhao Chang of Chess1000.com, and last but never least, Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we will catch you all next week.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.